Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that tonight you'll be the inspiration behind what we will hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so just as what you all rightly said, we are continuing our series on what is Jesus doing right now? And I think, what part is this? Is this part four or part three? I think this must be part four. Amen. No, I think this is part three, if I'm right. Yeah, this should be part three. Or part four. Yeah, part three. I think this Okay. Anyway. Um, let's, let's just... Um, Stop the confusion. We are in a series, that's all. I don't even know the part. Oh, okay, part four. four. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I wanted to say four to the... Oh, okay. So we are in part four. Amen. And right now, we are just looking at... So are you trying to tell me this will be my third week we are talking about the, the priesthood of Jesus? Wow. Yes. Yes. Oh, really? My, yeah. go- my goodness. Anyway... So, um, we are looking at the present-day ministry of Jesus. Like I said in our, in my, in our um, um, opening remarks during the introduction of this series, many believers, they, they just see Jesus as a sort of event. They relate him to the past, relate him to the future. But many people are not relating him to right now. Because let me tell you something. If you are able to know who Jesus is right now, he ceases becoming eventful and he becomes real in your life. But many believers, he's become very abstract. Many people are just familiar with, oh, he came to die, redeem us from our... Correct. All that is true. Or many people are just in hope of the soon coming king. He's going to be the righteous judge. Correct. That is also true. But in between those two events, what is Christ doing in this middle space? Many believers don't have an answer for that. And throughout our discourse, we have learned that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Right? So presently, he is functioning in our lives as Lord. Number two, Jesus is our high priest. And we've gone ahead to establish the fact that the first earthly high priest was the Aaronic high priest, or what we call the Levitical priesthood. And that was established based on a shadow and a copy of what was in heaven. It's a pattern. So the, the, earthly, the earthly high priest was not one of its kind. It was what God showed Moses on the Mount Sinai. A, a copy, a shadow, a pattern of what will happen in heaven. And Moses just replicated that on earth. Amen. So we've gone ahead to establish that fact that Jesus is our high priest. And then we went ahead to talk about three important functions of a high priest. I think we did that last week. He offers gifts and sacrifices. Uh, number two, he burns incense. And incense is a, for, you know, it's a, it's a metaphor for prayer. I'm going to show you the scripture uh, tonight. And then number three, he prepares his household for sacrifice. That's by making sure that they are consecrated. Because the high priest is not really concerned about the members. Because they don't, they don't come. You know, the, like the, the, the temple, the, the, the temple is divided into the outer courts, the Holy of Holies, and, um, sorry, the outer courts, the, the inner courts, and then the Holy of Holies. Now, none of the members come to any of these divisions. You understand? Nobody comes there. So, the priest will just tell the people outside the tabernacle, we are going to church. You just be here. Who comes to the outer courts? The people who come to the outer courts are the priests, the Levites, and the high priests. And what do they come to do at the outer courts? That's where the bronze lava is. They will have to wash themselves, purify themselves. You know, 
I, I don't know. Have you ever observed a Muslim washing his or herself? That is speaks from Exodus. The, the way they wash themselves, I think the Muslims call it ablution or something. It's like that. You wash your hands up to your elbow, right? Your face, mouth, because you are going before a holy God. And now when we read the Bible, we are not supposed to really imitate the action. We are just supposed to see the principle behind it. You can't approach God till God has qualified you and made you holy. So the priest is responsible for that. So that the, the, his membership, when they wash themselves, that's where they slaughter the animal and all that stuff. And then they go into the Holy of Holies. Now, when they go into the Holy of Holies, the priests or the Levites, they just stay there. And then the high priest alone goes into the Holy of Holies. Are you understanding me? So the priests, they all stay in the inner courts. The inner court, they stay there. That's where uh, the showbread, um, the menorah, the seven candlesticks and all those things are. All right? Aside that, they always go there daily. Aside that, they go there daily. They go there to burn incense and, and, and make sacrifices and, and stuff like that. No, they don't make sacrifices in the inner courts, but they just go there to burn incense and change the bread. The bread has to be changed every day, okay? And that is symbolic. But the Holy of Holies, you just go there once a year, just once a year. So you see, so it's just the priest. It's a priestly affair. It's a priestly affair. Is there any surprise that today God says that we are all priests? Because it would take to be a priest to enter into his presence, okay? It's not just anybody normal, no. Just being an Israelite is not good enough. Until they built the synagogue, nobody had access to the tabernacle except a family of priests. Amen. So that's, that's something that you should know. So today so I just want us to draw a parallel to that. Amen. Yes, I would like that. Thank you. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Have you realized you are quoting Hebrews a lot? So if I were you, I would start reading the book of Hebrews. Amen. I think, I think Hebrews really encapsulates to us the present day ministry of Jesus. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 10. So the high priest offers offerings. And what made Jesus a high priest is that he also offered an offering. Let's see. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they continually offer year by year, making those who approach perfect. For then would it not have ceased to be offered for the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. So, the law is a shadow. Amen. That's why the law existed. Thank you. The law, the law is a shadow. It's a shadow of good things to come. And what are the good things? We are in that good thing now. So when you are reading this, you don't have to ask yourself, what are the good things to come? We are in it. The New Covenant, the New Testament, where we are children of God. So we are living in that present reality now. And the writer said that they made sacrifices. That was the priesthood. But they had to go year by year. Okay? But now, why, why is he writing this? Because he's going to do a comparison and contrast analysis here. So look at what he said. For the worshippers once purified will have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a, a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So you see, the priesthood, they did the sacrifices every year. 
But the Bible lets us know that it didn't take away the consciousness of sin. It might have wiped away the act, but not the consciousness. They had to go year by year. And, you know, I've always asked myself this question, Lord, why didn't you allow the priest just to make it once and for all? But if the priests were able to do that, there would have been no need for a savior to come. No need. Think about it. We would have been deprived of the greatest gift to humanity if the earthly priests, who are like mortal men, who are sinners, could ratify our sins and make us justifiable before God. So I think right here, I really see an act of God's love here. It was by design that God will allow his son to come to this world to become the perfect gift to humanity. Amen. Verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Amen. So, Jesus came as the perfect gift with his body to come and offer himself so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Sometimes we should be very careful when we pick scriptures out of context and we start quoting them. Now, when the Bible says that God takes away the first to establish the second, he's talking about the old and the new dispensations. Old covenants, new covenants. And God had to take away the first covenant to establish the new covenant by allowing his son Christ to die in our stead so that we could be made righteous. And look at what happened. By that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That is good news. So one of the big differences or the main difference between the Levitical priesthood and the Messianic priesthood is that Jesus' offering is once for all. The Levitical priesthood, they had to offer sacrifices every year. And the sacrifice could not even appease for the consciousness of sin. It could, rem- it could omit the act or remit the act but it never took away the consciousness of sin. But with Christ's death, which was like an offering, it takes away the consciousness, it wipes away the slate. And then on top of that, it also justifies us and makes us righteous. You know, the high priest, when they, when they do their sacrifices, you don't become righteous. On top of that, you have to obey the law. So when a high priest offers sacrifice on your behalf, you are just pardoned. You are not righteous. With Jesus, it's like two in one. You are not just forgiven of your sins. You are also made the righteousness of God. Just this morning, I was, I was having a chat with someone and we were talking about if only we can understand the righteousness of God, it changes a lot of things. It changes the trajectory of your Christian work, your Christian experience with God. We are righteous because Christ's death was once for all time. You know how Christ is not coming to die again? 
Because can you imagine how sinful the world is? If he had to do it yearly, he wouldn't have to even do it yearly. He would have to even do it by the hour. But he did it once for all. Just once. When he was on that hill of Gogota, that death was a statement and it brought an end to the sacrifice of bullocks and goats. That yearly sacrifice, that yearly ritual of the Jews came to an end because there was something better that took place of that. So Christ is our high priest because he offered his body. He didn't just offer a gift. He offered more than a gift. He offered more than a sacrifice. He offered his body. His body was prepared and he said, I came in the volume of the book to do your will. Now, look at the implication of that. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. So what the priests were doing could not take away sins. It just covered the sin. It just dealt with action. But it never dealt with status and it never dealt with consciousness. You see, with Jesus, the, the sacrifice doesn't just deal with action. It deals with status. Your status will change. And it deals with consciousness. So, under the Levitical priesthood, when the high priest sacrifices, it just takes care of action. Okay, you are a murderer. So, when a high priest sacrifices, it takes care of the action of murder. But it doesn't change your status as a murderer. And number two, it also doesn't take away the guilt of murder. But with Jesus' death, his death is so efficacious that when he died, it didn't just take care of the action of murder. It dealt with the status that you are no longer a murderer. You are the righteousness of God. And it also dealt with your consciousness. Why do you think Apostle Paul could stand about and preach to the Corinth church? He said, I have wronged no man. You know, Apostle Paul was lying. Go and read the book of Acts. Look at his chronicles. Apostle Paul really understood the righteousness of God because there were some places when he goes to preach, his reputation precedes him. And his reputation was not a good one. Even though he had repented, become a, 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 what do you call it? Oh, a, a founder, a father of the gospel of grace, a pioneer preaching the gospel of grace. Still, his reputation preceded him. People still saw him as insolent. People still saw him as injurious. King James Version, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I was an injurious man. People saw him as violent. People saw him as someone who persecuted the church. Isn't it not funny that this man has turned his life 180 degrees? He's training pastors, planting churches, raising up leaders, writing the epistles that has formed part of the New Testament, yet he was still seen as a murderer. His reputation precedes him. And unfortunately, it was a bad reputation. But Apostle Paul could stand and minister boldly to the Gentiles and to his countrymen, the Jews. Whether they will accept his message or not, he could say, I have wronged no man because he understood the implication of Jesus dying for our sins that he made an end to the yearly sacrifice of bulls and goats. And today, if there is anything we are learning here, it's not for you to be a wild. Oh, wow, Jesus is a high priest. It's for you to know that he is a high priest. Why? Because he died for your sins. He put an end to guilt. He put an end to how people will label you so that you can accept the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness can only be imputed upon us because of Jesus dying for us. Amen.
But this man, you see, now look at the contrast here. Every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away the sins. But this man, the man Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. I believe by now we all understand the right hand of God. It's not just talking about position, correct? It's, it's talking about something bigger than that. He sat at the right hand of God. He became Lord. One that rules with power. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And we believe that the fulfillment of that prophecy will be at the end of the age. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Who are the ones being sanctified? We. Sanctified means he set us apart. So that's why there's a high priest. Based on his death, we have been sanctified. Based on his death, we have been perfected. He made righteous. Something that the Levitical priesthood could not do. Sacrifices didn't perfect. Sacrifices didn't sanctify. Sacrifices just fulfilled a ritual of obeying God. It fulfilled a shadow that one day there will be an end to this by my son, who will be the savior of the world. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us after he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. So now, after Jesus has made a sacrifice on our behalf, that we are now experiencing the new covenant, Christ says he will put his laws in our hearts and in our minds he will write them. Then he asked, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So Christ is our high priest because he came to deal with the issue of sins. He gives sin a death blow. And then he says that now where there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sacrifice. There is no longer an offering for sin. I'm sorry. So Jesus has dealt with the issue of sin once and for all times. That is why he's our high priest. The priest offered bulls, goats, bullocks, and what have you as sacrifice. Jesus, our high priest, offered his body. And on top of that, he qualified us that we'll be able to stand in front of God, our Father. Amen. Now, let's look at the second one. The high priest burns incense. Amen. And I want us to look at Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. Our first series of the year will be on the book of Revelation. So, uh, Pastor Harris will be teaching the book of Revelation. Don't miss it. I've heard him teach on the book of Revelation and he did that with it with much skill and adeptness. So, we'll be very privileged to hear him do that. So, I'm sure he will tackle chapter 5. So, I won't even want to expatiate on that too much. So look forward to that. Amen. But let's read Romans chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 5. I'm sorry, not Romans. Now, this is a vision that Apostle John saw. It's a vision of the lamp taking the scroll. All these are symbolisms, okay? So I'll just leave them alone. I, I don't want to go into that because the book of Revelation can be quite meaty and punchy, okay? But let me just go to verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before 
the lamp, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, They are worthy to take, take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue, people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Amen. So do you remember one of the um, descriptions of the priest? He burns incense. He burns incense. So this is us also talking about the intercessory ministry of the priest. So Jesus offers intercession on behalf of the saints. Amen. That's why he's our high priest. And this is something he continually does. So let's look at a scripture in Romans and then Hebrews. Which of them do I even want to read first? Let's go to Hebrews first, since you're already in Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 7. Let me start from verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an, with, with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become surety, a guarantor, a mediator of a better covenant. Verse 23, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. You see, no priest had an everlasting priesthood because of death. You see, no matter how anointed you are, you are not going to reign forever. You die. I thank God we serve a God who never dies, who is our high priest. He is going to continue forever because he has held death captive. And this one, he was made a priest without an oath. Every other priest had an oath, but this was not made an oath. This, the Bible lets us know that the Lord rather sworn and says, I will not relent. And he said, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now look at verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see? So when Jesus makes intercession, it's tantamount to a priest burning incense. And Jesus also receives our prayers because he's a high priest. Amen. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priest to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's for this he did once for all when he offered up himself you see when a high priest was making sacrifices he had to his sacrifice was twofold for himself because he is a sinner and then for the people if the high priest didn't want to die if he wanted to come out of that place alive which is the Holy of Holies. He had to make a sacrifice for himself and then for the people. But Jesus, he was a sinless man. Even though he was a man, he just made a sacrifice just for the people of the world. And he did it once. With the earthly Levitical priesthood, 
it was a yearly affair. Jesus, it was just once. One and done. You know, in America sports, they call something one and done. That's when you go to college, whether you're a basketball player, NCCA or NFL, whatever, one and done. After one year, you could go to the league, that kind of thing. Jesus, his sacrifice was one and done. That's it. He just did it once and the power of it is still speaking. And the Bible lets us know that for the law appoints us high priests, men who have weaknesses, but the word of the offering came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. So why is Jesus our high priest? He's making intercession for us daily. Know that Jesus is praying for you. And how is Jesus praying for you? Jesus is praying for you by presenting your request to the Lord, which is like incense. That's why when you're a believer, you have to pray. Because every prayer you are praying is storing up to God like incense. And Jesus, who is our high priest, takes the incense as a form of worship before God. You see, there was a significance why they had to burn the incense. It was a form of obeisance and worship to God. And that's how Jesus prays for us. He prays for us by making known our petitions to the Father in his name. That's intercession. Intercession means that someone is standing in the middle between two parties. To intercede. To intercede as middleman. As a middleman. That's why sometimes intercessors use the word Let's stand in the gap. No, 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 let's stand in the gap. We are standing in the gap between two parties. You, you can't just stand in a gap. You have to stand in the gap when there are two polar opposites and then someone stands in the middle abridging whatever or reconciling whatever together. Do you, you understand? So that's, that's a popular intercessory um, language. Let's stand in the gap. Well, if, the, if there are no two people behind, what gap are you standing in? Is it gap jeans? What, what gap are you standing in? There, there has to be polar opposites. There has to be two extremities that one can stand in the gap. So when, when we say that Jesus is interceding on our behalf, Jesus stands in the middle between the Father and the Son. And make sure that our request that we make to the Father comes to pass because it is through his name. Do we all get it? So Jesus is interceding. So that's how Jesus intercedes for us. So Jesus does not necessarily intercede for us like how we intercede for our earthly people. Jesus intercedes for us by making sure that when we pray, he stands in the middle. And make sure that our prayers, requests, petitions, supplications are answered based on his name. Because he has given us the authority to use his name. That's intercession. Amen. Romans. Romans chapter Verse 26. So let's start from verse 26 and we go to 34, 35. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. What's our weakness here? The weakness here is in a context. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought to. So that's one of the reasons why God has given us the ability to speak in tongues. Because it solves that weakness. If you're always going to pray with your understanding, I tell you, a time will come you wouldn't know what to pray for. Like, for example, I don't know how many of you have experienced this before. I, I have slept like real deep in sleep. Then I've heard the Spirit of the Lord tell me, wake up and pray. What's the prayer topic? I don't know. I don't know what the prayer topic what, What's pray? I don't know what to pray for, but I just start praying. And when I start praying, it starts to make sense. Once I start to speak in tongues, I believe that the Holy Spirit is making intercessions on my behalf because he's taking care of the weakness and the limitation of my mind. I remember one time my wife and I were going to travel somewhere and she said she was going to do some errands or whatever. So she, she just left and I was home alone. As I was home alone, I was doing something, preparing something. I just had the Spirit of the Lord tell me to pray. I don't know what I was going to pray for. Like, what, what do I pray for? Like, pray. What, what am I praying for? So let's say if I prayed with my understanding, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What, what am I going to pray? I don't even know where to start about. But I just started speaking in tongues. I spoke in tongues. And for me, personally, that's just my personal experience. That's personal. When, whenever I feel like that, I always rely on my spirit man. I will pray until I feel peace. If I don't feel peace, I don't stop praying. So it could be five minutes, it could be 15, it could be 20, it could be an hour, two hours. If I don't feel the peace of God here, why, why do I do that? Because of the scripture in Colossians 3. The Bible says, let peace be an umpire. So whenever it comes to prayer situations like that, okay, whenever it comes to prayer, I always want to rely on the peace of God before I stop praying. So I prayed and prayed and prayed, and about 45 minutes, I had some peace. Immediately I finished praying. About two minutes later, the phone rang. My wife said she had been in an accident. And it could have been a terrible one. And then when she told me the time, at the time when it happened, and when I correlated it with what I was doing, at that point, I was praying, speaking in tongues. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. And this happened like, we are in 2021, 2014, seven years ago. And that's what we are saying. The Bible lets us know that we have a weakness. And what is the weakness? We don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray. But the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And he makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be added. So I believe one of the ways to switch on the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit is when you are speaking in tongues. It's a very, it's a very powerful gift that I believe is made available to each and every believer who desires it. Amen. And I can give you so many stories and testimonies of speaking in tongues. Amen. But that's not the subject. But let's move on. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. Aren't you grateful we have a perfect intercessor? His name is called the Holy Spirit. He makes intercessions for us according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You know what? Let me just skip that and let me go to verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? So now when you read the Bible and when you see the word at the right hand of God, I hope you can explain it well. Amen. Who also makes intercession for us? You see? So Christ makes intercession for us. 
And how does Christ make intercession? He stands in the gap between us and God. And he abridges our desires to come to pass because we are using his name. That's intercession. Let me look at a last scripture in intercession in Hebrews chapter 9. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter So, verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into the heaven itself now, to appear in the presence of God for us, that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of him. God is very wise. Do you know why Christ just did it once for all? Because the Bible says that if he didn't do it once for all, he would have had to suffer (laughs) since the foundation of the world. Can you imagine? So like he would have just been repeatedly dying. But he just died once for all and is taking care of the sin issue. But I like verse 24. Christ enters into the holies of holies, which is now heaven itself, to appear in the presence of God for us. That's intercession. So Christ is interceding on our behalf. So Presently, what is Christ doing? He's our high priest. He's our high priest because he's perfected us. He's perfected us through his death. He's our high priest because he's constantly and consistently interceding for us. Amen. Now, let me talk about the bronze lover. Like I said, the high priest, he always purifies or consecrates his house, that's the family of priesthood before they go and worship the Lord. So that's what they do at the altar court. The altar court is just for that. The altar court is for two things. It's where the altar is. That's where you sacrifice the animal and then the bronze lover. And that's very important. You can't sacrifice an animal without performing like what the Muslims would call ablution. Okay? You, you have to wash yourself and purify yourself Christ, the Bible doesn't want us to copy that act, but the Bible wants us to look at the principle behind that act. We can't come to God unless we have been sanctified or purified by God. Amen. So go with me to John chapter 15.
John chapter 15 from verse 1. I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear forth more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Amen. So, Christ was a high priest here. Christ was using the bronze lava of the word to sanctify his disciples. And that was not all. Go with me to John chapter 17. Next, next year, God willing, when we tackle the book of John, we'll talk more on these things. Amen. Look at one of the prayers that Jesus prayed for his disciples. Sanctify them by your truth. John 17, 17. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by your word or your truth. For your word is truth. So from these two scriptures, how are we sanctified? By the word. The word is our bronze lava. And it's all because of Jesus, who is our high priest. And why? Because we are priests. And for us to gather as a kingdom of priests, it's important that we purify ourselves. Amen. So, on this note, I want to conclude by saying Jesus is our high priest. So, he's not just Lord or he's seated at the right hand of the majesties on the throne above the heavens. That's first base. He's Lord. Secondly, Jesus is our high priest. And he's our high priest because he's offered his body and died for our sins. He has come to a place where his priesthood will not ever change because he lives forevermore. And not just that, he bends incense, just as the high priest bends incense. He talks about prayers. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. And when we also pray, it's also like incense. Never forget that. So, enjoy prayer. Love to pray. So that you can experience the intercessory ministry of Jesus. When you are not praying, what is Jesus going to do for you? He loves you. But his intercessory ministry will really come into effect when you pray. Because he stands in the middle. He stands in the gap between man and God. And abridges our requests. That's what our intercessor does. So Jesus is doing that. And Jesus is our bronze lover. He said the high priest, he, he, well, he presided over the bronze lover and made sure all his members of the priesthood wash before they do service to the Lord. But Jesus is not just applying the bronze lover on us. He is the bronze lover. He is the word. And that's what, that's what makes him a priest. Amen. I'm done for tonight. Questions or contributions are welcome. The time is going so fast. Amen. I'm done. Who has any question or contribution? Did we all get it tonight?
there's people who don't believe in God, don't believe, but there's something happens and then now all of a sudden they're in the middle of a situation and they decide to pray to God for help. Well, does, I mean, what happens to those prayers? Right. Do you understand my question? Yeah. I mean, when he got prayed, God answered him. You know, yeah. So God, God, God will answer your prayer. But when it comes to the intercessory ministry, the intercessory ministry is only available to those He has perfected by sanctification. So that's a huge difference. So someone who is not a believer will never be able to understand the intercessory ministry of Jesus. You will not get it. And when you pray to God, yes, he will answer you. But, but that revelation of Christ interceding on your behalf will not be there because he is not Lord over your life. He's not Lord over your life. But God is merciful. The Bible says that he causes the rain to fall on both the unjust and the just and the unjust. He makes the sun shine on both the just and the unjust. So God will be ever loving. And he will hear your prayer. Just like he did for Hagar. Right? And I know religion was God supposed to listen to Hagar. He listened to Hagar's prayer. You know? And, and, and why? Because of the child that was crying, Ishmael, who belonged to Abraham. So God will listen to our prayers. But you will not be able to enjoy, you know, like you will not experience the full effects, the full power, the full privilege, the full benefits of prayer. You will not experience that until you decide to purposely live for Christ and Christ becomes your high priest. So that'll be the answer to that. Amen. Okay. Four minutes past eight. Father, we thank you for tonight. We give you praise for what we've heard. We thank you that you are a high priest. We worship you for that. We love you for that. We will continue to live on the strength of this revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, guys.